and welcome back to my story, his story, our journey. This is Miss Mary here. Once again, welcome everybody on to this journey with me today. And I hope everybody has had a great few weeks. I'm sorry that I did not get to post last week. I actually had a medical emergency with my family, but we are better now. And I am so excited about this journey that we're going to take today. And I hope everybody is out there uh, promoting this particular podcast and sharing it with your family and friends. And I just thank you once again for being here and I'll see you in my part of the story. Welcome to my part of the story. So it's been a minute since I've been with you and I have to honestly say that my life in the last two and a half weeks has gone chaotically crazy. And do you ever notice that when you're busy about the Lord's business and you're doing what the Father has sent you out to do, that your life just goes topsy-turvy? And let me add a couple extra idioms. You know, when I was putting this particular lesson together in this journey, my, my mother kept coming to my mind and, you know, she was the idiom queen. And maybe you'll recognize this particular English idiom. It says, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> and let's see. Misery loves company. What about evil chance seldom comes alone? And another one, trouble comes in threes. So they all together have an impact on this particular journey. Because yes, we are going to go into a journey of talking about and understanding why it is that you being a strong Christian, a you have faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ, you're doing what he would have you to do, and all of a sudden your life just goes to chaos. And, you know, this has happened to a gentleman, and I'm sure you already know that the gentleman that I'm speaking of, his name is Job. And everybody says, no, 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 Mary, don't talk about Job. Because if you talk about Job, then it's going to get worse than what it is. (laughs) And I know that I'm taking a risk here. But there's some things we could learn from Job. And maybe we can put together, especially trouble comes in threes. You know, we're going to talk about the fact that Job had three friends. And uh, his friends weren't really that good of friends. (laughs) But... You'd ask yourself, why? Why does God allow this to happen? Or sometimes have you found yourself saying, what did I do, God? Am I being punished? You know, sometimes we think about uh, God punishing us. Like, like we're his children. Did I do something wrong? Am I being chastised? And, you know, you need to be able to understand the difference between the two. Because, you know, we will be tested. And... Is God testing us or is he just allowing the test to happen? And is there a Bible verse or story that supports the fact that God allows 
uh, Satan to actually test us in certain areas? And my answer is yes. And if you've never read the book of Job, then this may come as a big surprise to you. So that's where we're at today. My life has been topsy-turvy. And yes, when it rains, it seems to pour. So, you know, that's where we're headed. And I hope that I find you in a better circumstance than what my life has been in the last two and a half, three weeks. And I know, like, especially my, my Bible study group, uh, for all you out there, some actually listen to this particular podcast, but those of you out there that um, are not part of my Wednesday evening Bible study group, we watched literally from one family to another family to another family to another family. It just hit. It was like people was in hospitals. People were having almost heart attacks and had to have stents put in. Uh, I had a teenager that was hospitalized for uh, almost a week. Um, there is so there was so much just boom, 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 boom. Uh, one gentleman, his company sold out, and he has whole new owners of this company, and now he's having to conform himself to their particular way of business, and it's just boom, 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 all through our Wednesday evening Bible study group. And there's, there has to be something to that. And this is the thing. We also have to remember, I mean, not just the English idioms that we talk about when it rains, it pours and misery loves company. But what about the statements, the powerful statements that Christ made, that if they hated me, they will hate you too. What about, um, you know, he says all that, well, let me think real quick. Uh, now it's just left my mind that fast. I had scripture right there and it just totally left my mind. I probably should have wrote that one down. But oftentimes Christ will make, you know, he said foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, he often was saying to them, oh, I know what it was. All those are persecuted in my name's sake for great is your reward in heaven. So, you know, we can be persecuted and we could fall under, you know, Satan just trying to destroy some of our life. Um, you got to think about it. You know, the Bible says that Satan is out like a roaring lion to devour, out to devour those in whom belong to God because he isn't trying to destroy his. He already has the people that are lost. They're already belong to him. He wants to destroy the testimony and the lives of those that love God and are strongly, uh, have strong faith and strong trust in God. He wants to shake the foundation of that. And not to mention that if you're on fire for God and you're reaching people with the gospel and the good news, I'm going to tell you, he's going to be out after you because he, he doesn't want that to happen. And so we are going to venture into the first couple chapters of Job and just read this story and see if it is true that God sometimes just allows things to happen. doesn't mean he does it, but he allows things to happen in a believer's life for a purpose. So I hope you enjoy this journey with me and I will see you over in his part of the story with Job. Welcome to his part of the story. So here we are about to take a journey into 
the first couple chapters of Job. And, you know, we was talking in my part of the story about statements like when it rains, it pours or misery loves company. Um, But I have another one that you would often hear, the patience of Job. So we're about to find out just how much patience Job really had. You know that's where that that particular idiom comes from, uh, is from the book of the Bible of Job. And let's see just what kind of day uh, Job was having back then. So let's get started here in chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. Now, we also know that blameless and upright was used for to describe Noah as well. So God is saying he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. <clears throat> he possessed 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. I love this that they have the sevens and the threes in there. You know, I'm big about when I see the number seven, I think of God, you know, created the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. So we know that seven is like the number of perfection. And of course, three is the sign and the number for the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And it says here that he had seven sons and three daughters, (laughs) and then he possessed 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and very many servants so that this his man was the greatest of all and the people of the uh, greatest of all of the people of the east so we know he was very wealthy and it says his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day and they would send an invite to their three sisters to eat and drink with them verse 5 And when the day of the feast had run its course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children may have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So we can see that Job was a righteous man, and he was a good father, like after they had their big festival and they're you know they probably were drinking and different things you know he was he was a faithful uh, father as well because he prayed on their behalf that if there is any sin that his children might have done against God that he would forgive them so it says here thus Job did continually so he was continually praying on behalf of his children and I'm sure we can all relate to that too that have children and and you know that you're worried if they're out of fellowship with God And then it says in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now we know the sons of God, I I researched that, and it was basically the the angels. You know, it's almost like when you present, you know, you think about the time where you may stand before Christ or when you leave this earth and your body passes away. But when it said the sons of God, it said that this, they, those were the angels. And then it said, um, and, and Satan also come among them. 
the Lord said to Satan, now listen to this. In verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. Now, if you hear that Satan is the God, little g, of this earth, the ruler of this earth, you're right, because he was cast down to this earth, and he, we, he admits that he's going to and fro and walking up and down it. And then it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, there, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Now, this is where most Christians say, What? <laughs> what did God just do? Did God just give Satan his digits, as we would call it, or his 411 or 911? Did he actually suggest Job? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He not only suggested Job, but he was very proud of Job. He says he was blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So now we have an innocent man that's blameless and fears God. He does nothing evil. He turns away from evil. Let's go on. Verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? So Satan's testing and tempting. You mean he fears you for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him of his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. I love that statement because he makes it clear that God put a hedge of protection around him and he's blessed everything. He's blessed Job's hands. He's increased mightily in the land. And why is that? Because God. So now we know from this where we get our substance and who actually provides for us and who actually protects us. Verse 11, Satan continues and says, But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So now you see. God actually gave Satan permission. What did he say? Against him, do not stretch out your hand. But the things that he owns, the things that he has, that's important to him. Okay, but don't touch him. Don't stretch out your hand against him. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck them down the servants and struck them down with the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell down from heaven and burnt up the sheep and the servants, and it consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
So instantly we had a group of people with their swords coming and destroying his, uh, the oxen and the donkeys that he had. But before the man ever got finished speaking, he then said that the fire fell upon his sheep and the servants there and consumed them. And he alone escaped to tell him. So there was one alone that escaped from the donkeys and the oxen. And then there was only one escaped from the, the sheep and all the servants. I'd say Job is about to have a very bad day. And he is in the process of having a very bad day. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Oh my goodness, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the Campbells and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone escaped to tell you, now the camels are gone and the servants. While he was yet speaking, wow, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across in the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people. And they are all dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So first, Satan attacked his things, his income, his wealth his servants, his ability to provide for himself and his family. Then he attacked his children. And now his children are gone. Now he's attacked the family. First the finances, then the family. Then is when Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell upon the ground, and worshipped. He fell upon the ground and worshipped. Is that what we would do? You know, the Bible tells us not to murmur and complain. We often hear there's always somebody with a worse situation than yours. To be thankful, to be gracious to come to God in prayer, thanking Him with thanksgiving in our hearts. But what is our first natural instinct when it rains and it pours? (laughs) When our misery loves even more company and one thing after another after another takes place, what do we do? Do we fall down and worship Or are we blaming God or asking God, why, what did I do? Why am I being punished? How come this tragedy has come upon me? Do we automatically wonder if God gave Satan our our number, like as in try this particular child because they're righteous and upright and they will not turn on me? Did God even have the right to do that? I'd say he does. Job belongs to him. 
Job was his creation. He has the right to do with his creation anything he wants. We know that from another scripture. He's the potter and we're the clay. He can form and make and do and change whatever he wishes with his clay. He fell down and worshipped. And he said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. (laughs) Naked I came into the world, and naked shall I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you say that today? If something strikes your family, a tragedy strikes your family, can you say, naked I come into the world, naked shall I leave? But blessed be the name of the Lord. What about your finances, your income, your job? If it just totally flips a switch and you find yourself in something completely different than you were just last week, you know, we are people of comfort. We are people of control. And we are people of repetition. We like things. We don't like change. We don't like things to change. But God often says certain things have to change to even get you where I need you or put you where I need you. Do we ever really look at the situation as an opportunity? Or or do we really instantly just freak out and start worrying and panicking and and feeling like, why me? Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe the people in your work atmosphere never was really welcoming of the gospel. Maybe this situation with a new company, maybe there's going to be people coming in and out of your pathway and maybe these people are actually believers and you're about to be free to do and speak and be who you want to be. We don't know, but have we even given it a chance? What about my teenager that I worry so much about that, you know, wants to harm herself? See, I foster a child, two children, one in which has what they call PTSD and she has bad memories of her past and the abuse and there's times that she just don't want to be here. And everything in me wants to convince her all of the reasons why it is good to be alive. It's a good to want to live. You have your whole life in front of you. But does she wa- or does she watch me murmur and complain? Does she watch my husband murmur and complain and think think just the opposite? Does my life show her that it's worthy of living? Do I relate to her and show her times of my brokenness and times that I wished I wasn't here anymore? Do I give her comfort? Is this a time for us to grow and to build and to acknowledge God's sovereign control over our lives? What about being rushed to the hospital? 
in a process of possibly having a heart attack and and then they get to it and then they put the stent in your heart. But can we see it as a blessing? Like, wow, what if it had just been a massive heart attack and you never would have made it? But God gave you the instinct to get yourself to the hospital and get yourself to the hospital now. Do we fall down and worship? Can we say that this is something that God is going to turn into our good? Because he says it in Romans 8, 28. I say this all the time. For we know that all things work together for good for those that love him and is called according to his purpose. That is you, believer. That is me. Why can't we see that whatever is taking place is going to benefit us some way, somehow? Job lost all his children and he fell down and worshiped. He was sad. He was broken. He ripped his clothes. He shaved his head. Back in those days, that's what they did when they were mourning. He was mourning. He was broken. Can you imagine losing every child? Every child you have at one time. But he worshiped. Chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan once again, From where do you, have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going up and to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Do you believe this happened again? Really? Back to back? We're going to go after Job again? What? But God knew something about Job. He understood something about Job. That he would tell Satan about Job again. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity. Although you enticed me against him to destroy him. See, God, this is a battle. This is a battle between God and Satan. He says here, he still, God says he still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him. Those words are so interesting. I like just need somebody just to totally break that down. But the only thing I can get from it is, is God is saying, you enticed me against him. You enticed me. See, he knew Job. He knew the heart of Job. He knew what was going to take place. And Satan was so sure that if you just take your hand to his things, his toys, his money, everything he owns, he going to be mad. He will curse you to your face. But Job didn't. And then he turned around and said the same thing. You enticed me against him to destroy him without reason. Did you hear that? Without reason. Are you going through a hard time right now? Are you struggling? Do you know that this happened 
for no reason? Are you feeling broken and wondering if God hates you? If he don't love you? If he isn't hearing your prayers? If he doesn't, maybe he's punishing you? You believe he's punishing you? This was for no reason. Other than Satan enticed God. But God still knew what the outcome would be. He still knew Job. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Hmm. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch your hand out and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Now see, the first time he said, But do not stretch your hand out to him. You can't harm him. You can't hurt him. You can't do anything to him. So now Satan is enticing God again and saying, well, yeah, okay, I took away his stuff and he didn't curse you, but put your hand upon him, his flesh and bone. Now, you ever notice too, because, you know, Job had a wife and, you know, in Genesis, it says bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So is he talking about his wife or is he talking about his physical body? He actually is speaking of both. Because see, I've already read this. He's speaking of both. When you're struggling, what do you always notice that it's around? Isn't there a pattern to it? Finances, family, your health, Finances, family, health. Verse 7, chapter 2. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with a loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scratch himself while he sat in ashes. So he basically gave him boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He was in such misery, he took a clay pot to scratch his sores, to scratch his boils and his blisters on his body. His health. One of my dear friends in our Wednesday night Bible study, it was her health. Then there was, well, she's my sister. And then I had a brother dear friend. It was his health. He ended up at the ER and in the hospital a few days. She ended up with a stent put in her heart. Then I have another brother in Christ that it's his job, his work, his finances are being threatened. It's unstable, not sure what's going on. And me, it was my family. My family. My teenage foster daughter. Broken. Finance, family, health. Hmm. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. (laughs) Oh no. Now it's his support system. Now it's his wife. His bone of his bone, his flesh of his flesh. 
He says, she says, do you still hang forth to your integrity? Because they had to believe, the people around him believed he had done something. He had to do something for all of this to come down on him. He had to have made God mad. So she was so fed up. But if you think about it, sometimes we can be hard on the wife that she turned her back. Because she lost all of her children. She lost her home. She's losing her husband. Her husband is covered in boils and sores. So she says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. What a profound statement. Verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of a foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. <laughs> Can we say that? Can we say, shall we receive good from God, but never the bad or never the evil? Are we that narrow-minded to believe that the only thing that we're going to receive good is good from God. Well, the truth is, is I believe yes. Because see, Job still didn't curse God. He still trusted in God. He was willing to accept the bad, but I don't think Job saw the good that was coming. Just like we didn't, and we don't. We we don't trust in Romans 8, 28, because if we did, we would know that somehow it's going to work out so good. See, we have Romans 8, 28. Job didn't. We have that promise from God. And then comes in, what did I say? Trouble comes in threes. (laughs) And then comes in Job's friends. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. And I'm going to probably not be able to pronounce these right. Elvisaz. Temanite and Bildad, and the Shutzite and Zophar, the Namanite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not even recognize him. And they raised their voice and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Now that is the end of chapter two. Don't they sound good, though? Don't Job's friends sound good? They didn't even get too close to him. They didn't even recognize him. That's how bad he was. And they ripped their clothes, and they sat down, and got with the ashes like him in mourning and they just sat there days and never said a word probably didn't know what to say to him you ever been there before when your your loved one or your family member or friend is going through such a devastation time and you're like what do I say I don't even know what to say I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing even but I'm going to jump ahead just to two things Job's friends actually blamed him again just like his wife did. 
you can read on into the book of Job. But for the sake of time, because Job is a big book, I will tell you that his three friends actually blamed him and believed that he had done something against God and that he needed to repent. And he needed to turn away from him and ask God to forgive him for what he had sinned and what he had done. And Job repeatedly over and over said he hadn't done anything. Well, I don't know about you or me, but I know I, I, I struggle with sin every day. So I know at some point that I should know better, that I am not, even if God saw me as upright and righteous, he's going to see me through the blood of his son. He's not going to see me as upright and righteous because I, I'm not. And see, that was the one thing that Job fell a little bit short. He never charged God or blamed God for it. But maybe he was too righteous in his own mind. I'm not sure. But I do know the outcome after long past when I said, did Job really have patience? It got to the point where Job was saying that he cursed the day he was born. He cursed the time that he could suck from his mother's breast. He cursed the, d- the day that he entered this earth. And I will tell you, did he run out of patience? <laughs> Maybe he ran out of patience. But that's what happened to Job in a short amount of time. So how is what you're going through compare? How is what I'm going through compared to what happened to Job? Can we say, God, I hold you not in account for whatever is happening because I know it's going to work out for your glory and my good, and I'm going to fall down regardless and worship you. But we're going to stop there for his part of the story. Join me back for our part of the journey for a wrap-it-up commentary. Welcome to our part of the journey. As I said in my part or his part of the story, we're going to do a little bit of a wrap it up commentary. It's been a while since we've done that during our part of the journey. And I'm just going to hit on a few things because there is a big commentary on this for sure. But uh, I want to hit on specific things that I think will help us in our struggles and help us during these times where we feel broken and the pressure of everything is upon our shoulders. And, you know, sometimes we feel bad, like I'm being punished, you know, for something I have done. You know, God's mad at me. And, you know, God is a loving God. He, he is a father of love. You know, he, if you think of the most absolutely 100% perfect father, that's God. Like none of us on earth as far as mothers and fathers, can be 100% perfect. But God is, and he loves his children. Excuse me. (coughs) He loves his children, and he wants only the best for us. So could this have been a test? Well, I'm reading here in the commentary, chapter 1. It actually says the first test. And then it says, this section represents the occasion, the dialogue, and the events of Job's first test. It was a test. But God already knew Job's heart 
he knew exactly how he would respond. And sometimes we're like, okay, God, don't think that much of me to turn me over just to Satan. But, you know, again, without us being put in the fire, we cannot be made pure as gold. We have to get those impurities taken out of us. And there was something, and I would urge you to continue reading the book of Job and to see what it was that Job learned. And I'm just going to jump ahead and, you know, after so many chapters of Job saying, you know, I wish I wasn't born. I wish, you know, he said there were so many different ways that Job actually cursed the day that he was born that I can't even number them. But eventually God spoke back and he instantly started telling Job, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Can you measure it? Can you put a, a line, a ruler to the length of the earth? Where were you? And he just goes on into talking about where were you? And I made these animals, this animal, that animal. And I remember getting cold chills all over my body and thinking, and we need to think about this. When we get so low, so broken, so fed up with the trials and the temptations of the devil, we have to be very careful about where we cast that blame. You'll, you'll see the world often blame God for everything. If a little girl's taken in a car accident, he blames God. They, they blame God. Not the, not the sin of the drunk driver that hit the little girl, but our perfect God. They blame our God for everything. And, you know, if you find yourself mad at God, and, you know, sometimes I'll say, it's okay. You can be mad. He, he loves you. He understands. But at the same time, what about this situation? How would you feel if God looked at you and looked at me and said, Mary, where were you? Can you compare yourself to me, Mary? You Can you really compare your line of thinking with my line of thinking? See, I know how this is all going to play out. I know what's going to benefit my child and what will ultimately glorify me. So, Mary, can you tell me where you were when I created this all? When I stopped the edges of the water, the ocean from coming up on the land? Can you do that yourself, Mary? And I tell you, it will give you a new, a new, fresh look on your situation to think that God could be asking you that while you murmur and complain. And I know that I'm going to be tested on this once again, no sooner than this happens. And I just pray that the Lord can help me through it. And I can remember to fall down and worship rather than murmur and complain. But we see here it was a test. And then it says, the challenge in heaven... With Job now introduced, the scene switches to the heavenly court. The Lord draws Satan's attention to Job, thus initiating the chain of events that that occupy the rest of the book. The earthly protagonists remain obvious to these heavenly deliberations. So it's saying that he brought, he drew his attention. So we are correct in believing that he gave Satan, his 411. He gave him the address. <clears throat> and then it says 120. <clears throat> In the wake of his loss, Job embodies both grief, Job tore his robe and shaved his head, 
and trust in the Lord. And he fell on the ground and worshiped. So he demonstrated his grief, but he also demonstrated who he would go to during his grief. He fell down and worshiped. 121. In contrast to what Satan suggests will happen, Job cries out from a posture of grief and worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then it says 2 verses 1 through 10, the second test. This section represents the setting dialogue and events relating to Job's second test, which paralleled the description and the extent of the spear of his first test. The challenge in heaven. The second glimpse of the heavenly court deliberately echoes the first. Taking ultimate responsibility for Job's calamities, the Lord again fixes Satan's attention on Job's blamelessness and God-honoring character. Satan responds by seeking permission to attack Job himself, urging that this will reveal the insincerity of Job's devotion. So, He wasn't good enough with attacking his belongings and his family. Then he had to go after him himself. Skin for skin. It is possible that the metaphor refers to the future test Satan is about to request, namely the permission to afflict Job's own body. However, the structure of 4 and 5 suggests that it and the following phrase, all that a man has, he will give for his life is referring primarily to what has already happened. Satan is crassly suggesting that Job's maintained his integrity because it cost him only his skin and his livestock and family, which he was happy to trade for his own life. The next phrase begins with an explicit adversative in Hebrew, but which contains Satan's final plea, Afflict Job in his bone and his flesh, and then he will surely curse God outright. <clears throat> Only separate his life. The sparing of Job's life is not a mercy. It, it, uh, wait a minute. The sparing of Job's life is not a mercy and not merely a concession necessary to the test, but in integral. It's inter interval to the test, the most difficult of life's sorrows are sometimes found when even the mercy of death is denied. This was the ultimate test of faith. So see, he's even saying that that is an ultimate test of faith too, because Job might've got to the point where he was just ready to die, but yet God was sparing his life. So, you know, I've been there. There's been times that I have told people that I've been so broken that I'm just ready to go home because I understand what my home is. I understand glory. I understand heaven. I believe in it. I have faith in it. And there was times that I was so broken that I just wanted to be released. So we can see here that sometimes death is actually a mercy. And you can think about that with people that struggle with cancer and, uh, you know, and they're, they're real bad off. We're like, Lord, just take them, you know, Lord, take them home with you. And then it says, Job's affliction and confession. Already in a physical and emotional posture of grief, Job is struck with sores and his wife's question to which he responds further in grief and trust in God. Although the reference of Job's wife is very brief, the content of her speech is significant for how it relates to the heavenly dialogue and for what this connection reveals about the nature of her comments. 
her rhetorical question doubts the sensibility of very the very thing God finds uh, commendable about Job. Do you still hold fast your integrity? And her suggested response advises Job to take the action Satan was looking to provoke, curse God and die. So she ended up wanting to wanting Job to do the very thing, like get get this over with, you know, just curse God and die. I, I, I don't want to go through this with you, you know. And she was believing that he, you know, had a bad integrity as well. She was basically telling him, you've done something, just like his friends did. You've done something. And then it says, Job's response to his wife with a measured rebuke, he does not presume to know her heart fully, but wants her against, warns her against speaking like one of a foolish woman. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to end the commentary there because my question to us is how foolish can we be? You know, is it foolish thinking when <clears throat> we're hurting that God has it out for us? Why, do, why would we choose to believe that God is punishing us or God has it out for us versus us being tested? Or God taking whatever the situation is and turning it into good on our behalf and for his glory. Um, you know, the only answer to that is the sin nature of the heart. Because I can only answer for myself. And I know that's what it is. My first initial instinct is not to fall down and worship, but to murmur and complain. Um, I can only pray in my life that the Lord would eventually help me with that and give me a stronger faith. And you know, he would help my own belief when it comes to the promises that he's made and given us. And in all honesty, could you or would you even want to be Job? Would you, what if you're a person that God sees strong Maybe God sees you strong in fellowship, strong in belief, strong in your testimony, blameless and upright. And God said, go ahead, test my strongest, but they will remain faithful to me. And God knows it. So would you be willing to even look at it from that perspective of Job? that God may see something in you that you don't even see in yourself. Well, we're going to stop there and let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this journey into uh, the first couple chapters of the book of Job and the reminder that you are there. And if anything we can take from this, Father, that you are in control of all things. Satan cannot harm us. He cannot put his hand upon us unless you give him permission. He cannot take our life from us unless you give permission. So, Lord, help us during the times of struggle, during the times of testing. Help us maintain the character that Job had, that he loved you, and he said, Naked I come into this world, and naked I shall return. But blessed be your name. Help us. Help us to be able to fall down and worship during our hardest times, during the times that we struggle so much with everything that's going on in this world and in our lives. Help us be that light. Help us to be that 
example to those that are around us that you are in control and for us to remember Romans 8:28 that it will work together for good and it will it will be better for us and it will glorify you and and help us have faith in just that scripture alone how much peace we actually give up you know you say you give the peace that passes all understanding and Romans 8:28 is it just that scripture alone if we just believed in it and had faith in it how much better we would feel and how much better our lives would be. Lord, I thank you for the example of Job. And I know that we we know the end. We know you give him back even more than what he had at the end of this story. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me for the times that I murmur and complain. And I know in the last few weeks I've done quite a bit of it. And I pray you forgive me for that. Lord, help me be the light for people to see you. Help me to show them that you are in control and that you love us and that you will be there for us. I thank you for hearing my prayer, but mostly I thank you for Jesus, for dying on the cross so that I could even come to you in prayer. And it's through his precious name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. And my prayers are out for everyone out there. Uh, I continue to pray over every person that uh, tunes into this podcast for first salvation and then for all of your life for growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and especially during times like this. So if you're struggling, remember, try to maintain and hold fast the integrity that Job had and just worship our God and trust him with whatever the outcome is. Well, I will see you next time on My Story, His Story, Our Journey.